So uh, we've been in a series for seven weeks now uh, that uh, is, uh, tries to address the question of why there is so much bad in the world if there's a good and loving God. And I've titled the series using an old prayer that, in fact, one of the very first prayers that I ever learned as a child, um, didn't grow up in church, but my mom taught me a couple of prayers and you know, we tried to uh, talk to the Lord occasionally. And one of those prayers was what we were supposed to pray before we ate. And it goes like this, God is great, say that. God is, God is, good. God is good, now we thank him for our food. Amen. So I decided to title the whole series, and I'm writing a book that's based on this, God is great, God is good, then why all this evil? Or why all this bad? And I've sought to answer that question over the last several weeks, but I started by trying to firmly establish logically, reasonably, that God does exist regardless of our feelings, regardless of what seems to be going on or what appears to be going on. God is or nothing is. Something has always existed in the universe, isn't that something? So something that is powerful enough and intelligent enough to bring the universe into existence has always existed. Further, something that is not prior, caused by something else. Otherwise, you just go back in an infinite regress, a vicious infinite regress, and you never really answer that question of what has always existed. Um, so God is, and God is great. Uh, Anselm, St. Anselm from the Middle Ages defined God that way. He said, God is a being that which no greater can be conceived. So that's just the definition of God. Um, but I also wanted us to realize that God is also great because although he is all powerful, almighty, right? Omnipotent, we would say, he is also capable of limiting himself. And he did that and demonstrated that by creating you with an independent free will. You chose to come here this morning, didn't you? Did God make you come here this morning? Well, you might have felt drawn or use another Christian term, convicted by the Spirit. Um, but you chose, you decided, you have a free will and it is genuinely free. And because that is the case, you can resist God. Now, none of us are strong enough to resist an omnipotent being unless he chooses to limit himself, which he has. Further, God limited himself in the incarnation. Big word that just means the enfleshment. And that is what happened at Christmas. And we're coming up on Christmas. I know some of you are really excited. You're already listening to those Christmas songs, right? Um, and some of you are like, no, 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 please. Not, not, not yet. But Christmas is about God the Son becoming a man, right? Uh, he emptied himself and became one of us. And then he descended in that elevator all the way to the lowest floor. He died, but then he didn't just die. He died on the cross, which was a shameful and painful death. But then God raised him from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead, so he is never to die again. And all those of us that are in Christ will receive that same gift of eternal life. And we have that, uh, that same hope that is laid out before us. So God is great and God is good. In fact, uh, God's nature defines good. Otherwise, there's no objective way to say this is good and it is always good and it is good for everyone all the time. There's no way to have an objective good if we don't have a God who has established it above human wills and human wishes, right? So I you know, pointed out that we all have independent wills. We do what we want and we have different ideas of what good is. Uh, how many of you think chocolate is good, oh, yeah. right? 
How many of you do not think chocolate is good? Right? See? So who's right? Well, uh, those of us that believe chocolate is good are right, obviously. <laughs> but that's the point. We use good for so many different things, but often it's just uh, what uh, one philosopher called positive or negative approbation. Good and bad is just what I like or what I don't like. What's good for me? What tastes good to me? But that's not good. Good is something that transcends all of it. In fact, even Plato recognized that, the famous philosopher who lived four centuries before Jesus was incarnated as a human being. And uh, he had this, this, this kind of uh, world that he called the world of forms. And he kind of saw that everything in our world has a, a form that uh, kind of establishes it. But he said that the form of the good was above all of the other forms. So he recognized the importance of good. So we establish that God is good, that's his nature, and that's how we define and determine good, not what's good for me and good for you. What is good from God's perspective is ultimately going to be good for all of us. So God is good, God is great, God is good. Now, why all this evil? Well, God established the world with good purpose. At the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter one, uh, it says, and God saw all that he was made, all that he had made, and Behold, it was not just good, it was very good. But something went wrong. You read Genesis chapter 3 and we find that that something was an event that happened in this perfect garden, right? This, this, uh, this perfect place that God had established for the first human beings. And they were given free choice and they chose against God. And so they were thrown out of that garden. They were separated from the tree of life, which would have perpetuated their existence in a fallen state. And that's certainly not something that we would want. And so that fall is, has been a part of uh, the earth and a part of human nature since the beginning, right? We see it in the universe. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics, the entropy law, says that everything that is uh, all matter and all energy uh, is, is going downhill. The way the second law of thermodynamics states it or the entropy law states it is all matter is proceeding toward chaos and all energy is proceeding toward death. So ultimately, if left to itself, the universe just continues to go further and further and further apart until everything dies and then there's just a big dead nothing, right? But see, God is the one who brought the universe into existence. He is the one who will renew the universe. But what we need to understand is it is fallen. Everything is subject to that fall and the entropy law is demonstration of that. Right. Last week, uh, I began to try to answer this question of, you know, why we encounter bad in the world. And we looked at the origin of evil. I uh, said that evil is, according to Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, 6th century Bishop of Hippo and doctor of the church. Uh, Augustine said that evil is a privation. That means evil is the absence of good. And his example of that primary example was darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. Uh, that's how he defined it. But I also see evidence in scripture that evil is a perversion. It is a twisting of what is good. So uh, we see this in many respects today. People who are, are well-meaning, who are wanting to support those 
who are pursuing lifestyles that are potentially destructive for them want to be compassionate and supportive and say, well, no, that's okay. That's just the way you are and so forth. But the reality is what we've done is we've sort of perverted compassion and perverted good by saying, well, let's just let people have what they want or what they feel that they want rather than helping them to take the path that God has created for them. Now, you may think I'm talking about one thing and I may be talking about something else. This applies to a lot of things. Perversion is often applied to uh, matters sexual because God established human beings and the relationships that we have with them. And we just go crazy with that. And it's, you know, it's all over the place today. But it really applies in a lot of different ways. It's taking what is good and not completely going the opposite direction, but twisting it to the degree that it's no longer the same thing, right? A half truth is a complete lie. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. And then finally, what we see in the garden is evil is rebellion. It's rebellion against God. It's me wanting to take my way instead of God's way. The uh, origin of evil is, uh, comes, is a personal origin. It comes from a being that was once an angel in the presence of God. Uh, some, some folks call him in his former state Lucifer, which means light but he is most often called Satan, which just is a Hebrew word that means adversary or opponent or enemy. He is the opponent of good. He's the opponent of God. He thought he had a better idea. And probably long before Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden, he and those that followed him were thrown out of heaven. And so we have a world that is populated with fallen angels. Now I know, see, this gets you know weird because we've got these, these medieval ideas of these demons running around with tails and, and horns and pitchforks and so forth. Nothing could be further from the truth. These are personal beings who are opposed to God and God has allowed them to be here so that you and I get a very, very clear picture of the difference between good and evil. And they seek to oppose God at every point. Now that's what I really spoke, about, uh, spoke to last week. I talked about Satan and I talked about his fall. But in addition, I really well established, I hope, last week that you can't just say the devil made me do it. You can't just say, well, you know, I have a fallen nature and that's Adam and Eve's fault. No, you make your own free choice and you have the free choice to align your will with God, to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the grave to save you. You do have the freedom to do that, not just to rebel. I think theological systems that don't offer us real choice are flawed. They're deeply flawed. In fact, I would say that the existence of hell is the clearest reason that you should believe that humans do have free will because the scripture says it's not God's desire, it's not his wish that any should perish. Then why do they? Because we resist God, we rebel, we take our own way. Hell is designed as the place of destruction for the devil and his angels, but all of those who follow his uh, example of rebellion will end up there as well in this place of separation from all hope and all light and all life um, and eternal destruction. That's what hell is. Um, but in addition to that, to this presence of, of supernatural evil in the world, you may or may not uh, have some experience with that or believe you have some experience with that. But I bet you have run into some bad people, haven't you? Yeah, so that's today's message and I'll make it brief because I'm giving you longer introductions, but I know people are not here for everything and I want you to hear the answer here. 
But uh, I didn't give you a bulletin today because we're going to see where this goes uh, as far as the chapter is concerned. Last week I didn't even read you the chapter. Um, but uh, today, the answer to why the, all this bad in the world, and I have 52 of these answers, by the way, but this is just another one. God's people will face persecution for righteousness. That it means for, for following him because the unrighteous will resist them. Well, again, you might say, well, what's righteous and what's unrighteous? These people say it's this and those people say it's very, very clear. God defines what is good. God defines what is right. Amen. So opposition to God, taking your own uh, your own will and, and pursuing it, whatever avenue that results in is unrighteousness. You are not uh, in a correct relationship with God, so you are not right. And that means that even the, the healthy decisions that you make are not going to be entirely good because they're motivated wrongly, right? Christians are going to face persecution from people deceived by the Antichrist. And yes, I did say that. And yes, there is such a thing. And we're going to see that increasingly. Satan is not the only source of evil on earth. People who believe the enemy's lies will also oppose and persecute those who genuinely worship God. Satan's most pernicious lies are against the nature and the identity of Jesus Christ. Listen to this from 1 John 4, 2 and 3. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. It means Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the chosen one, right? So every spirit that confesses that Jesus, the Christ, has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Well, there's a whole lot of people that would claim to be good people. And, you know, morally speaking, they may be good people, but they fail or refuse to confess that Jesus is uh, from God and that Jesus came in the flesh and that Jesus is the Christ, right? So... The Apostle John says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. We see opposition to the biblical Jesus everywhere in our world. And this is why I have stated on a number of occasions from uh, this stage that we are living in an Antichrist culture. Don't let the culture raise your kids. You may be thinking, I'm bringing them to church. I'm trying to teach them right. But the culture is having a powerful influence on them. Uh, you know, Pastor Craig is a, a, a principal at a, a school in Dallas and was telling me about a TikTok challenge that these kids are following where they're vandalizing the school. Listen, man, you know, ha, 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 funny, funny, funny. What's the next TikTok challenge? Listen, this is just another way of, uh, of doing what kids do. It's peer pressure, right? It's lemmings all running over the edge uh, of the cliff because all of the other lemmings are doing it. Well, all of the other kids on TikTok are doing it, so I'm gonna eat some Tide Pods and I'm gonna blow up the restroom at my school. Really? Don't let the culture raise your kids. It's not cute, it's not funny. It's not something that, uh, uh, that is going to end well for any of us, okay? And then this is what Jesus said about those who would oppose us. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Yeah. Man, if somebody is persecuting you and coming up against you because you love Jesus, thank them. 
Get fired up for it. You know, the, the first uh, disciples, the first apostles, Peter and John, were dragged out and beaten, right? This is early on after Jesus had raised from the dead and they were preaching the gospel and they were beaten. And it says they went away thanking God that they had the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus. Amen? That's awesome, right? So, um, we can thank the Lord when we have opportunity to represent Him well. Some of the world's greatest evils, however, have been perpetrated in the name of God. We see this coming out of the Middle East today. It's still happening. I, I last uh, renewed these notes in 2014, I think, and uh, there was all there were all sorts of things going on back then with ISIS and people being beheaded on and videos being posted of it and uh, burning people in cages, burning a, a man who was a pilot was put in an iron cage and burned alive. And they, you know, they put that and they think that's good. They laugh. Apparently, in this most recent iteration, the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan again. And there was a. Uh, a former either policeman or soldier in the uh, when the we were over there that uh, was beheaded and there I never watched these videos I, I read the account but they cut his head off with a knife and then were holding his head and dancing around and singing this is a dark sickness but they do it in the name of God don't they right Often we hear that Islam is the religion of peace. And to be sure, there are millions upon millions of peaceful, peaceful Muslims around the world. However, so-called extremism is not against Islam. It's not, a, it is not what we call Islamic extremism is not at odds with Islam's origins. In fact, jihad, holy war, explains the dramatic spread of this religio-political movement throughout the world. Muhammad didn't merely preach and permit people to make up their minds, which is what I'm doing with you today. He went to war with all who refused to accept that Islam was the true religion and he, its prophet, its greatest prophet. Nabil Qureshi, who passed away a couple of years ago now, um, but he was formerly a devout Muslim who became a Christian after a painstaking and detailed process of research into the New Testament Gospels and historical Jesus, then research into Muhammad and the Quran. His autobiography, and I would, I would really recommend this to you, is, is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Qureshi details first, firsthand how his eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel, and in the process of the telling, as we read, our eyes are opened to the true nature of Islam. In the Quran, we read, the penalty for those who wage war against Allah and his messenger and strive upon earth to cause corruption is none but that they be killed or crucified or that their hands and feet be cut off from opposite sides or that they be exiled from the land. Qureshi cites other Islamic uh, sources and, uh, and these are called the hadith or the tradition, which are not as authoritative as the Quran, but indispensable for Muslims to see how they need to live their lives because the, the hadith or the tr traditions about Muhammad, and just as I would say, we need to follow Jesus and we need to be like Jesus, Muslims would say, you need to follow Muhammad and be like Muhammad. So Qureshi quotes uh, from hadith uh, where it says, I have been ordered by Allah to fight against people until they testify that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's apostle and offer the prayers perfectly and give the obligatory charity. Then they will save their lives and property from me. 
Dr. Bill Warner is a scientist who arranged the Quran chronologically. The Quran currently is arranged uh, by length, but he arranged it chronologically and discovered that because there are peaceful verses that are often quoted from the Quran and it, se it seems to be at odds with itself. And so it's very puzzling because we would want to get behind the peaceful verses and many peaceful Muslims want to get behind the peaceful verses. But then we have these violent verses that, uh, that encourage jihad and war and beheading and all of this other stuff. So, you know, what's going on there? Well, what happened was the Quran was written or Muhammad would say revealed over a period of time. The earlier portion of the Quran, the earlier verses were written when uh, Muhammad was in Mecca. And during that time, he was not in a position of power. And he did preach peace and tolerance. But then uh, the Meccans kicked Muhammad out of their city and he went to Medina. And he, they began to raid caravans, uh, Meccan caravans, and then he raised an army. Well, from Medina, he wrote the verses that are militant, the extremist verses, and they're both there. They're intermingled because again, the Quran is arranged, chronolo uh, not chronologically, the Quran is arranged by, uh, by length. So here, here is an example of this. Um, two contradictory verses. This is from Quran uh, Surah 73.10. Listen to what they, the unbelievers say with patience and leave them with dignity. Well, wow, that would be awesome. In fact, we've got a lot of folks in politics today that should listen to that. But then we have this from Quran, uh, Surah 8, 12. Then your Lord spoke to his angels and said, I will be with you. Give strength to the believers. I will send terror to the unbelievers. Uh, excuse me. I will send terror to the unbelievers' hearts. Cut off their heads and even the tips of their fingers. Well, what's the difference? The earlier verse was written in Mecca before uh, Muhammad became militant. The latter verse was written in Medina. So what we see is oftentimes, once Muslims gain power in, an, uh, in a nation, the violent views, verses are used to wage jihad against the kafir, that's the unbelievers. That's those of you in this room that believe that Jesus is the son of God, you are among uh, the, the idolaters and the unbelievers, according to uh, the Quran. So we need to make no mistake. Islam aims at world domination. This isn't just about, you know, you stay in your country and I'll stay in my country. Um, they want everyone to be subject to Sharia law. Many Muslims are peaceful and kind, but there is intolerance for alternate beliefs. Islam teaches that there is one unforgivable sin and that is shirk. Shirk is idolatry. Qureshi writes this, Shirk is specifically discussed in the context of Jesus in uh, Shura 572. He who believes Jesus, he who believes Jesus is God, Allah has forbidden from heaven for him and his abode will be hellfire. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Then you're going to hell, according to the Quran. So in turning to Christianity, however, you think, ah, oh, you know, Christian preacher picking on Islam. Nope, it's just what's going on over there. Let's turn back to what's going on over here. Um, we find that there has been violence done by Christians against Muslims, against Jews, uh, varying what we would call denominations today have fought each other to the point of uh, death and war. Um, 
in turning to Christianity, we see this violence against Jews and Muslims and those with differing views on various points of theology. The difference, though, is Muhammad and the Quran teach violence. Jesus never taught this. Jesus taught us to, in fact, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We need to follow Jesus, not a religious movement, not a religious teacher, not a denomination, not a tradition. We need to follow the Jesus that the scripture uh, writes about. Uh, because there is a tendency to align Jesus with your particular political viewpoint and then call everybody else on the other side evil. You're really following the Lord and they're not, they're false. The reality is if you follow Jesus, you're going to look liberal sometimes and you're going to look conservative sometimes. As I've said to you guys before, the only difference between liberal and conservative is where we are right now, right? Conservative is conserving previous values. They may be right or wrong. Liberal is uh, seeking to be progressive and to push forward and to establish new values. That's all it is. Well, there's some new values we do need to establish and there's some old values we do need to conserve. Amen? So don't just call yourself a conservative. Don't just call yourself a liberal. Call yourself a Jesus person. Amen? Follow Jesus. That's what we need to do. We don't follow a political leader. We don't follow a denomination or a religious leader. We follow Jesus. Um, so there's all sorts of uh, horrible things that uh, Christians have done over time, or at least Christians in name only. But those who confess that Jesus is Lord will also follow his way of love. Lord means he's the boss. We're going to hear that a little bit more uh, in a few moments when we have the privilege of seeing little Asher baptized. And I hope you'll look and say, you know, well, this is a, a seven, almost eight year old kid. So, of course, we do that with kids. No, you need to be baptized. That's right. But first you need to be saved. Because if you're baptized and you're not saved, you just got wet. That's it. And I've seen it happen many times. I've baptized many teenagers who were baptized at Asher's age, and they come to this point where there's kind of you know, some confusion. And you know, the parents are doing exactly what Craig and Rachel are doing. They're raising their kid up right and so forth. But kids go through you know, times of decision-making and so forth. I always just start them over. I just say, I'm not going to say you weren't saved back then and that that doesn't matter and that you did it for the wrong reasons. I'm just going to say, if you're unsure right now, and I'm going to say this to you, if you're unsure right now in any way, just start over. Pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord. Now, somebody was asking me uh, the other day, you know, they were pointing out, well, the Bible doesn't have a sinner's prayer. No, but the Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. That's a prayer. And then over and over in the New Testament, the refrain is, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a prayer. Now, you might hear Pastor Craig pray a certain prayer or me pray a certain prayer. And some of the words will be the same because I've prayed with people for many years. But, you know, the prayer can be as simple as Jesus told a parable of uh, the Pharisee and the publican, right? The publican was a tax collector and looked down on by everybody. And the Pharisee was real proud of himself. The Pharisee stood in the front of the church and raised his hand toward heaven and said, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me. And I thank you that I do everything right. And I thank you that I'm not like this man in the back of the room. Jesus said that that guy was talking to himself. He prayed to himself, essentially. The publican in the back of the room wouldn't even look up. His face was bowed to the ground, and all he said, and this is a sinner's prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? 
you need to call on the name of Jesus to be saved. If you pray that simple prayer with faith, then you'll be saved. But friends, I think what we have a lot of in church is presumption. Oh, I was raised in church. I, I know all that stuff. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Knowledge doesn't save you. You do realize that, right? Knowledge doesn't save you. That's why a seven-year-old can be saved, right? I could probably put the amount of theology that Asher knows in, well, I was going to say one hand, but two hands, because I know Craig's his dad, right? But you don't have to know reams of theology. You just need to trust Jesus, amen? And call on him to save you. Now, there was an evangelist uh, in the mid-cities uh, years and years ago for some time that uh, held meetings. And he would get people to say, I know that at this time, I might, might not be able to remember the day and the hour, but I know at this time I stopped what I was doing and I called on the name of Jesus to save me. If you don't know that, you need to do that. Because faith is not presumption. Faith is not just an assumption. Faith is not just head knowledge. Faith is you accepting, receiving, taking into yourself Christ as your Lord. Amen? That's what we need to do. Every single one of us. We need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from this fallen world that is full of evil. Saved from this demon-infested world. And of course, saved from eternity separated from God in hell. Um, so I think that uh, we're living in a world where we see the spirit of the Antichrist. We're being opposed regularly. Um, theology is drifting further and further away from the Bible. I want, you, I want to just relate this uh, passage to you from 1 John once again. Uh, this is a, a chapter earlier, a couple chapters earlier than the verses that I read earlier. This is a little longer passage. This is 1 John 2, verses 18 through 25. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son. You'll stay with Jesus and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. So I see three sources of opposition uh, to Christianity today, biblical Christianity, right? Um, the Antichrist is not just this political figure. It is, is a spirit of opposition to Jesus. Three sources, militant Islam, militant atheism. You see, there are those that are atheists and they just don't believe in 
you know, they just don't care. They're not fighting anybody. But there are atheists that are, they're really not atheists, they're anti-theists. They're angry, angry, angry at God. They hate God. Militant Islam, militant atheism, and apostate Christianity. That means Christians in name only, Christians who have actually turned their back on the biblical Jesus, even if they still uh, go to church to be a part of some fellowship or whatever. But those are the three main sources, I think, that Satan is using to uh, attack Christianity today. So what should your response be? Right? I got five minutes and I've got five points. So let's see if I can do one per minute, Pastor Craig. Number one, be certain you have faith in Jesus Christ, not just passion or family upbringing. Second Corinthians 13, five says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. Is Jesus in you? Literally, actually, factually, by his spirit. Number two, remain in Christ and don't turn toward the world with this idols and lies. John 15, 6, Jesus is addressing the disciples on the, in the upper room. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Yes, there are nominal Christians, Christians in name only, that will be in hell. It's just the way it is because people have chosen to pursue their own idea of Jesus and to be presumptive rather than to have faith. Three, fight the good fight of faith against the enemy of our souls. Second Timothy 4, 7, the Apostle Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that is something you need to do to the end. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Yes, you can know you're saved now, but you also must endure to the end. God will continue to hold your hand. He will, he will bear you up in his arms and he will carry you along, but you have to cooperate. And I believe that once you are genuinely saved, you will remain saved but that doesn't abrogate your need to cooperate, amen? Number four, expect persecution and rejoice when it happens. Um, I already read this, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. And number five, wow, am I doing good. Love even the people who persecute you and that's tough. It might be somebody in the same family, it might be somebody in the same church might be somebody that you've known for years and suddenly they change. And now they're coming up against you because of your faith. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And that's the, this will be the conclusion of my message today. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This means to reach an end. This means to be complete. This means to be mature. So, yeah, a wise woman in our church said a couple of months ago that we all need to grow up. Yeah, we do. That's what this is saying. Be perfect means to grow up, to become more like Jesus, and that's something that is a process. And I should be growing up and growing closer to Jesus every single day. 
So there's plenty of gospel that's been offered to you today, plenty of good news. Will you embrace it with the arms of faith? We're going to have a, a song or two here. And uh, as we do, I'm going to ask uh, Miss Mary if she will come up here to the front and uh, she will be available to pray. Pastor Craig and I will be over here. We'll be able, we will be available to pray with you. Um, yeah, if you've not called on the name of Jesus, I invite you to do that. Just call out to him and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I need you. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Save me. And he will. But you need to really do that, not just listen to me say that. Amen? All right. Come and pray with us if you need to.